So we think about like what would be the ideal way you would want to experience the brand. And so at what point in your life do you want to access the brand through a physical store location? At what points in your life would you want to access the brand through a digital experience? When would you want to access the brand through social experience? Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Michelle Armstrong, Chief Operating Officer at Sage Natural Wellness, a Vancouver-based vertical retailer in the natural wellness space. Michelle oversees the supply chain, product management, merchandising, and project management areas of the business. This role has allowed her to marry her passion for product while delivering exceptional results. She began her career at PwC in the audit practice in Vancouver and moved to Lululemon in the formative years as the head of finance. During her 10 years at Lululemon, Michelle went through an IPO, saw the company grow from $150 million to over $2 billion in sales, and making the career transition from finance to product leadership. She joined Sage 18 months ago and has been supporting the company in their growth into the United States. Since the time of this conversation with Michelle, she's accepted the role as the global head of product for Amher Sports, a sporting goods company with internationally recognized brands including Salomon, Arcteryx, and Precore. And so without further ado, here's Michelle Armstrong. Hey, Michelle, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. Uh, we've got lots to cover and get through, and I'm excited for this chat, so why don't we dive right in. You started your career as a CPA with PwC. From there, you became the director of FP&A at Lululemon before moving into various merchandising roles during your over 10 years at the company. You've now been at Sage Natural Wellness for over a year. So talk to me about your journey and how it all started for you. Yeah, sure. So I started out um, well before I became a CPA. I was actually a forest firefighter in the summer. And um, my parents told me that I needed a job when I got out of university. And I just the next day happened to be chatting with someone who was a CPA. And he told me if I took the job, uh, articled as a CPA, I could have anything I wanted. And I was like, well, that sounds great. So I took my Bachelor of Science degree um, and applied. And I somehow uh, PwC hired me and I spent the next nine months getting 16 courses um, of accounting and finance under my belt. So when I did the CPA, I actually didn't have any idea what I was getting into, but I loved getting involved with a whole bunch of different companies, all the way from like forestry and film to um, consumer products and doing a little bit in the finance industry. So after articling, um, I did definitely want to change the pace. So I moved to the Cayman Islands and worked in, it was right around the time that international financial reporting standards was becoming um, a big thing and everybody that would, all companies had to comply. And so I worked there for two years and quickly realized that there was no chance that I was going to work in the finance industry. Um, so I came back to Vancouver 
um, and chose to work with uh, private company services, which was a new branch of PwC. And one of my first clients was a company called Lululemon. And I went out there and I was the um, auditor um, manager of the audit. And I think I was there for like just over two or three weeks. And I met with a couple of people and they said, this doesn't make any sense. I think you need to work for us. So I just jumped right in. And I, th- I met one of them on the seawall while I was running and he thought she doesn't look like an accountant. I think she needs to work at Lululemon. So I uh, went to the partners at PwC and told them I was leaving and they thought I was crazy to go work for this little yoga brand. Um, and I was giving up my career and I went there and I I reported to the then CFO for, I want to say, maybe a month. And then the uh, CEO came uh, came up to me one day and said, I, I actually like you to report to me from now on. About a month later, he said, I'd like you to put a uh, presentation together, just like of Lululemon and its performance and sort of some of our plans, because I had put together like a forecast model, three-year forecast model. And so I put together this presentation and I presented to eight banks out of New York, um, and um, that was the beginning of the IPO with Lululemon. So working with Goldman Sachs and Credit Suisse and all these big banks, I had no idea, like, you know, ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what I was doing. And I think it actually made me do a better job. <laughs> then um, after we went public, the whole world of investor relations became a part of my life, as well as we actually needed a strategy, which um, we I think we all had it in our heads. It just wasn't on a piece of paper. And then I had my uh, first baby. So when I went on maternity leave, I hired my successor. And when I came back, they said... Um, what job would you like? And so at Lululemon, one of the important things was always to post your three, five and 10 year goals. And it was quite obvious in my goal sheet that I never had CFO in my goals. And so um, the CEO at the time took me aside and took me for coffee. And she said, you don't have CFO in your goals. Therefore, you need to pick a role outside of finance because we don't want to lose you. Um, so I chose product. And then just timing was perfect in product. I sh- I when I came back to work, within two months of coming back to work, um, both heads of merchandising left the organization for various reasons. Um, and the chief product officer needed support in strategy. So I supported her. And then three months later, I was the head of merchandising. And then I held various different leads in merchandising for the next seven years. I think it was just, I, I think it's a combination of being like open to anything. I think I said yes, way more than I should have. And it, it always worked out in my favor. That's awesome. Starting off as an auditor at PwC to going into finance and then moving into product and merchandising. And and now you're the COO of Sage. So first of all, tell me a little bit more about Sage. What does the company do? What is it all about? They started 26 years ago, the founder. So it's a husband and wife team. He found himself in a car accident. And on the other side of the car accident, he had neck pain. So he went to the doctor and he got something for his neck pain. And then he had stomach pain. So they said, oh, that's caused by this medication. So they gave him something else. And then fast forward five medications later, he walked in and they said, well, actually, I think you might be depressed now. And he thought, this is crazy. Like, I have to get off medication. So he went on a bit of a walkabout. Um, Those are my words, not his, but he went on a bit of a walkabout and he discovered the power of essential oils and actually letting go of um, medicines. When he came back from um, the 
like Eastern Asia, when he came back to Vancouver with his wife, she said, this is actually something that we have to share with everyone. So 26 years, like the, the company was founded on like a few essential oil blends that supported and helped with different levels of pain or anxiety. And then um, it slowly grew. And for 20 years, they say they were like, um, people thought of them as a snake oil business, really didn't know what it was. And then about six years ago, people really started to like wake up and listen and it took off. So it had like exponential growth over the the last five to six years and I think with the wellness trend that we have today it's got this great foundation of history uh, it's not just a brand new startup that's trying to play it's got like a lot of knowledge and so now we are um, over 75 stores in Canada and the US we're gonna dig into coming into a, a company w- long after it's been founded. But before we jump there, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your transition from the finance operating role to now being the COO at Sage. You touched upon this saying yes to a bunch of different times and got to where you are now. But how does it, the your background in accounting and finance help you in your role today? Yeah, I mean, good question. I used to joke with the CFO at Lululemon, um, He's still probably one of my number one mentors and um, probably always will be. So I we continued a relationship after I left the finance team. I used to joke with him that I deal more with numbers outside of finance than I, I ever did in finance. So, uh, and he was like, you're probably right. But I think like, and I'm a strong believer that the financial statements just tell a story in a different language and um, all financial analytics tell, tell the story of what's really happening. And so, I have found um, being outside of the finance world that I actually I continue to use like my account, I put on my accounting hat, my accounting brain has always been a way for me to understand the whole picture of why we might be okay with a cost increase here to be able to like accept like a timing efficiency on the other side, because I can understand how it always relates back to the bottom line. And whether you're in a private company or a public company or a company that's just about to do a transaction, they're always, I mean, the reality we are in the business of making money. And um, that's where, you know, the, um, it all comes down to the bottom line. And I think if you have that lens it can support any type of work you're doing in the business. And it's a huge competitive advantage. So me making the transition, I think when I was in FP&A and I was doing a lot of the analytics, I found myself like doing the analytics, providing all this insight to the business partners, and then they would go away and make the decision. And I thought I I actually wanted to make the decision. (laughs) Like I, I, I found myself being hungry to be on the other side. And I thought, well, here I am doing all this analysis. Surely I have the tools to also make the choices. And so that's how I, I was encouraged personally. And when the opportunity came up to, to jump outside of finance, it was like a no brainer for me because I always saw that I had the tools in my, um, in my brain to be able to do that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And so uh, what are some tips that you would suggest or best practices of, you know, presenting financial data to a non-finance audience? Well, I can give you a very specific example. So I didn't think this was earth shattering at the time. And here I am like, how could I say 15 to 20 years later, people still talk about it. So my very first presentation to all of the store managers at Lululemon was, um, I called it like the groove pant. The groove pant was one of the original 
um, styles that Lululemon sold and it just happened to be about a hundred dollars. It was $98. And so I just broke down our financial statements in, um, in the way of looking at a groove pant. So if a groove pant sells for a hundred dollars, how much of like 14 of that dollars is spent on the, um, the employees in the store X amount and like broke it down. And I think it made it very real for everyone. And to this day, people are like, I remember that time you <laughs> did that presentation. So I've always looked, I've always looked at numbers in terms of like, what's the real thing that's happening? Like, yeah, we spent that much money, but really, why did we spend that money? And what does it mean? And so making the transition, and I think naturally, from the beginning, I always tried to take it out of the numbers, because the numbers are just like, it's just like, just like a language. Like I think about like a car, like 100 kilometers an hour is just like a measure we use to say how fast we're going. But really what's happening is like there's a certain amount of gas being used up. There's a whole bunch of things happening in the engine and someone who's racing a car maybe thinks less about the the, the kilometers per hour and thinks about all these other things underneath. Um, and I think the most powerful, or I believe the most powerful business um, leaders in the world really understand the workings that deliver that result. It's really laying out the context behind a number uh, to really be able to portray what is that number and the meaning behind it. And I, I can agree with that 100%. Switching gears now to your time now here at Sage, you know, when you joined, Sage, like you mentioned, Sage was founded in 1992. So when you joined the company, the company had over, call it 15 years of operating history and systems in place. Now, this is different, like I mentioned, from when you started at Lululemon, the company was eight years old. And so at Lululemon, you had the opportunity to build up a lot of the systems and policies and procedures as the company grew. But here at Sage, you're inheriting a lot of tried and tested systems. And so in this setting, how do you think about changing systems or do you? Oh, uh, so I might be known as the master of like analogies. And um, I think this is like the thing about Sage that I've experienced. And I think this can be in a lot of different situations and organizations. And it's something new that I learned is over the course of the first 20 years where the organization was moving, but not growing rapidly, like very small growth, maybe no growth for a number of years. There's an element of muscle memory that was created in the organization. Like this is the way we do things. And then as an organization starts to experience growth, what got you to where you are is not going to get you where you're going. And so the game is really trying to figure out where those bottlenecks are. So I'm, I played soccer and my children play soccer now. So if anybody who plays soccer, it's for me, it's really simple. Um, when you play four V four, nobody plays mm -hmm. And, and when someone's playing goalie in 4v4, you turn around and you say, what are you doing? Like, you got to come up when it's time to come up. You got to go back when it's time to go back. But then right. as, soon, as soon as you move to 11 aside, that strategy doesn't work anymore. You really don't want the goalie trying to play forward in 11 aside. So I think the same thing with companies is there's a time and a place for how an organization should operate and um, structure itself. And it's all dependent on the context to which it's living and how it's growing or not growing or changing its direction. Um, and as a leader, it's really important to like understand the circumstances to deliver what's needed. Um, and for Sage, there were some things that I thought, uh, 
I think it was just connecting the pieces and helping people to understand that not making the past wrong, like it's not wrong how people play four side in a small soccer game. That's not wrong. It works mm-hmm. for the whole side. Um, it's also not wrong the positions you play in 11 aside, um, but making sure that everybody is aware of the new strategy, I think is like 90% of the battle. And then people, once they, they're comfortable, oh, it looks different, then we can start to get into conversation. Um, I could go on and on about systems. I think it's really, I think a lot of times, especially today, because um, technology is everywhere. We tend to think that the systems are going to be our magic pill, and I think that they're actually quite the opposite. And so, to, I spend more time on like like honing the process and and understanding the critical links between different teams, um, and then the process uh, the the system will just come and it will be able to like make that faster. It's not going to create it though. I love that analogy. It's just like figuring out what game you're playing and what are the systems that are best suited to play that game. And that can change as the company evolves and grows over time. Um, What are some of the best practices and opportunities as an established wellness brand like Sage that sells online and in brick and mortar locations that you mentioned? What what are some of those uh, opportunities uh, today that that present itself uh, for a brand like that? I think today people are looking for alternative um, ways to take care of their health. They're also starting to question everything. So, I mean, we're learning every day, we're learning more and more about things that are more harmful harmful to ourselves as well as our environment. Um, And so people are really hungry for information and they want to make the best choice. I mean, I, I am one of those people. And sometimes I feel like I don't have all the information at hand to make the most informed decision. And so I think our job as a wellness brand is to continue doing what we're doing in terms of developing the best product out there. Um, when you want to choose to go natural and you don't, and you don't want synthetics in or on your body. And what might even be more important is how we communicate that to our, um, community members and customers out there and what that looks like. Cause I think everybody is trying in some way, shape or form. Um, and how do we have cut through? And I think that to me, that, that really is the unlock. Um, cause people are also naturally I, I, skeptical a little bit of what they hear. If I tie this back to your your analogy with the 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 games, I like that one a lot. Prior to so, let's say when when Sage started, it was mostly a kind of physical location or or a brick and mortar type game that you were playing. But today, we're we're seeing a lot of brands where they do not only just brick and mortar, but also online, and it's it's like a blur as a customer and the end customer. It's kind of a blurring of those lines. How do you um, what kinds of systems? or or best practices do you adopt to play this game now where it's more of an omni-channel game versus just bricks and mortar or just selling online? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, The omni-channel, the way we have... um, we talk about it as we talk about it in terms of the community member journey. So we think about like what would be the ideal way you would want to experience the brand. And so at what point in your life 
do you want to access the brand through a physical store location? At what points in your life would you want to access the brand through a digital experience? When would you want to access the brand through social experience? And then understanding the why for each one of them. That Because I think you can also lose your brand quickly if you think each one of those channels can do everything for you. So um, we spend a lot of time of getting really clear on the why of social, the why of like digital, the why of the stores, and then how all of them can complement each other. Um, And that has been, um, I I think that's helped us a lot, especially in the last year when we start to see growth across the board in all channels um, at different rates, but very rapid growth understanding the why and then you know like when something comes in and you might have an opportunity say with a partnership or a collaboration or a, a new product you un- right away you have a filter to how you would share that with the world each of these channels that you mentioned and i totally forgot about social that's also definitely another channel um each of these channels have their own strategy and their own way of, of selling and so i love the way that you frame that um last question here before we jump into our quick fire round and that is in your opinion what is the importance of the finance function at a retailer and brand like sage i think it's so important because when you're in it there's Timing is never perfect. So um, you may want to invest in a huge system and that may put you behind financially, but the reward might be two years down the road. So like it's not perfect. And I think this happens in our own personal lives. Like you might have to make a big investment in a car and that's going to last you for the next five to 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. In an organization that is growing as fast as Sage is um, and having to buy inventory in advance, there is like, you know, there are cash flow and um, working capital concerns. And so not having a very strong finance team can really put like can have us make short term decisions that aren't in the long term interest of the brand. So the finance piece is so critical to a growing business. um, So that we're aware of like this investment is a big investment, and it's going to pay dividends for this amount of time. Or if we don't invest in this in 18 months, we're going to feel this kind of pain. And then partnering with finance to make sure that we have the working capital to support that as we're growing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what I'd love to do now is jump into our quick fire round. The way this works is I'll ask you some questions. You'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Okay, I'll do my best. All right, let's do it. So what is your go-to resource for all things finance and operations related? Probably my mentor, John Curry. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Uh, what's your favorite productivity hack? Mine is notes on the corner of a page during a meeting. Oh, cool. It's just just in the margin because I find that my brain, I'm definitely probably a little bit um, ADD in terms of I, I have trouble concentrating. So things come up quickly. And if I don't write them down, then I get stuck on them. So I write things down in every page. Nice. What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? I do not leave the office before checking in with my team. I've heard that one before. It's always refreshing to hear that. Um, what's, uh, what's one jargon that makes you cringe of any kind? Retail jargon, tech jargon, whatever. Well, finance acronyms kill me. What's, what's the worst finance acronym that you hate hearing? ROI. I hate it. <laughs> 
Nice. <laughs> What's the best advice you've received so far in your career? Mm, there's no such thing as a bad experience or or said another way. Um, you can learn from anything. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. This has been an awesome chat. I really learned a lot about Sage, about your experiences going from accounting, traditional auditing background to finance, operations, merchandising, and to now being the COO at Sage. Also learning about you know the, the different strategies that brands and retailers need to take in today's environment of an omni-channel approach, whether it's selling online or bricks and mortar, as well as so Social. And so uh, thanks again, Michelle. Really enjoyed this chat. No problem. Thank you. This is great. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. What an awesome conversation with Michelle Armstrong, COO at Sage Wellness. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.